0: So welcome to the Buy Build and Sell podcast. So together with Paul seabridge and myself Matthew Wainwright, the topic today is how to navigate the economic uncertainties that we live in today post COVID or current COVID era. Um Paul, what's your current take of the world today? Very brief. Yeah, so
1: it's a it's a pretty tough environment out there for business. Um, You know, we have a lot of businesses in the UK, um, the US, Australia, all of those places are currently affected by the world in which we live in at the moment. You know, so there is a war in Europe. Um, There is rising energy costs, which is a lot more significant in perhaps, say, the UK and Europe than than maybe other parts, but it's a a big challenge for businesses. Um, Interest rates are rising. In the UK, we've got double-digit inflation, so it's pretty tough out there. And certainly what we're seeing across a lot of the businesses that we're invested in is that the cost to do business is more. You know, Wages are going up, the labour market is challenging. So it's a really tough environment for, for businesses to um, work within. But that does give opportunity. Um, you know, When I built my recruitment business 2007, 2008, 2009, the worst economic crash that we've seen, we managed to double our revenues during that time. Um, and I guess it's all about looking at what are the opportunities? How do we take advantages of those? So if you look at sort of mergers and acquisitions, for example, you know there's still 23% of businesses around the world in Western countries that are owned by the baby boomer generation that we spoke about in the last episode that don't have an exit strategy. That has opportunities for us, other business owners, people that want to get into M&A to build a business through acquisition. So that's one big opportunity at the moment. It's certainly a, more of a buyer's market than, than perhaps a seller's market. Um, but also there become more opportunities to become a bit more innovative and, and really look at your business and think, what can I do differently? What could I do to make it more efficient? How do I reach more customers? How do I um, convert more more of my sales leads? There's loads and loads of things that you can do in your business right now that you can use to take advantage of the world in which we living. And look, whether it's a recession or completely the peak of the market, you know, there's always going to be challenges for business, which typically tend to revolve around cash flow, um, around sales and marketing and around recruitment. So those same challenges, whether in a pretty poor economic environment or a really good one, will remain the same for um, business owners. So it's all about how how to navigate through those.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think if you focus on the variables that you can control, as opposed to thinking about this macro environmental, you know, macroeconomic environment that we live in. Focus on you know what you've got in front of you, what resources you've got access to, and then focus on improvement from there. So, like one of the examples that we that we talk that we're talking about right now is: can you outsource? You know, part of your financial management team to another country where the cost of labor is a bit cheaper? You can improve the profit margins inside your own you know business. You can sell operate in the same way that you're currently doing it but you change some 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 small things can you automate some of the processes that you've got through technology so like things like crms you've got ai right now that can literally produce content for you on a daily basis pretty much for free without having you to hire you know copywriters or having to go out there and hire uh, an external team so there's a lot of things that you can focus on that could help you out on the day-to-day improve the you know the, the profit margins of your business while also you know obviously reducing the cost of of producing whatever you need to produce in order to to you know run your business so,
1: so if you took over a business tomorrow and you're going to look at sort of some quick wins on optimization, automation efficiencies what would be the sort of things that you would go and investigate to see whether or not there's something you could do with that business to make it you know more efficient to ultimately improve the bottom line regardless of the economic climate that we're in
0: so i would focus on quick wins so one of them is what is like what's the price of your product can you increase that by three five percent that's a quick win look at your current client base and look at the services that you're currently delivering and all the gaps in between you know what your what the products are that you're delivering and the client base that you've got so can you upsell cross sell downsell across your client base with the current product that you're selling can you look at renegotiating some of the contrast that you've got with you know the energy bills the electricity bills the rents can you maybe um, work around you know what the accounts receivable will look like so how quickly do customers pay you can you increase that by say 15 days 30 days in order to improve your cash flows what you know operational uh, aspects of your business have a lot of you know are have a big expenditure inside your PL. so like your sales team do you need to have five say, like salespeople in order to bring in the same kind of um, turnover you the current building, or can you bring in that kind of same turnover with three people? Um, follow-up systems, do you have any follow-up systems in place in order to recoup, you know, some lost customers or some potential prospects that say no, say two or three years ago, that could potentially say yes right now? Could you create bundles in order to bring more people inside the business?
1: Um, yeah, one, one example, um of, of uh, a real example in a business that we're involved in today in the caravan and motorhome space is when we acquired a business in that space we found a lot of manual processes so you know a lot of paperwork to be filled in when we're ordering parts to be fitted into these caravans in repairs and maintenance for example um, and we found that you know ordering of those parts they tended to be sat in the, the warehouse for a while um, or we'd overorder or we'd order the wrong part because of inefficiencies in the process and one of the things that we've introduced is actually everybody's got an ipad so it's all connected to software, it's all ordered automatically and it means that we're not sat on a warehouse full of stock that either we can't use parts that we can't use or the wrong type or we're sat on them for just too long Um, so it's become a much more efficient um, process so not only does that release cash because we're not sat on the same level of stock um, it also improves the time frame of turning caravans around the whole productivity piece so just by investing a little bit in some um, technology has made a massive massive difference to that business Um, and I think when you're when you take over a business um, and you sort of go in with with fresh eyes if you like you can go in and you can look at where those bottlenecks are and it might seem like a really obvious thing to me or you because we've never been in this business before but to a business that's operated in a certain way for a long period of time they won't necessarily see that as inefficient but if you can release some cash by not holding stock or you can improve productivity so you're getting paid quicker then all of those things can have a massive impact I think on a business.
0: So thanks for tuning into the Buy, Build, Sell podcast. Please visit buybuildsell.net in order to access our free community on buying and selling and building businesses so that you can access like-minded entrepreneurs, get access to free resources and be able to access content that is not available online that will help you on the deal-making journey. We promise not to spam you and we will be sending you the next episode on your email for free at your disclosure. Thanks a lot. 100%. 100%. I think whatever economic downfall or you know, whatever situation you're currently in, just look at the variables that you currently have. Look at them. What can you prove upon them? And then there's always a solution to any any problem that you face on, on the day-to-day. And then in terms of labour challenges right now, Paul, obviously there's difficulties in the market to you know hire the right people, doing the right thing and so on. What would you... Advice or what are we doing right now in order to improve our hiring process? How, you know, what, you know, labour challenges? What would you say about that?
1: So, um, aside from people's political views on Brexit and stuff like that, there is a big impact in somewhere like the UK, where historically we've been able to tap into the European labour market. So, one of the businesses we're involved in in the food space was historically very reliant upon. Um, you know, a labour force from Eastern Europe, for example, um, and now that Brexit's happened, we can't hire workers, unless they were already in the UK, we can't hire um, unskilled, um, if you like, labour, and it's become much more challenging. And I think when when we went through the pandemic um, in the UK and other countries around Europe and, and the US and, and places, um, we've almost bred a culture of actually People have become a bit lazy in in their, in their sort of approach to work. You know, the government in the UK paid people on furlough to sit at home and not work and they pay 80% of their wages. So when people have spent nine months a year at home twiddling their thumbs, doing other things, or even maybe creating some sort of side hustle or their own little small business, you've got this pool of people that were previously working that are either now don't want to work, because it actually they might as well sit at home and get paid and it's bred that type of culture, or maybe they found something else. You know, there's lots of people that have sort of almost stepped away from working in big, high-powered jobs in the city to go and create some sort of small business of themselves. So the actual pool of labor is is a, is a lot less. So I think f- for us, we've got to make sure that, you know, if there's, you know, that pie of people, and um, it's reducing, we want to get, get more, bigger slice of that pie. Um, you've got to be able to, appeal to people so you know you look at your employer brand why would people work for you you know we talk a lot about marketing and having a usp and why people should buy your pro- their products and services from you and not somebody else it's the same with employment um, you know, why should somebody come and work for you? You know, is it better pay and benefits? Is it more training and development? Is it flexible working? You know, there's a big conversation at the moment about people who have been used to a, such a period of time of working from home and working remotely. And, you know, maybe they think that that's more productive. And I've found that, you know, if you can offer those flexible working or maybe one day a week working from home or, or those sorts of things, that can actually be more appealing to somebody um, than maybe getting paid a little bit more. Um, You know, if you look at that fresh produce business, for example, one of the things that I guess makes us a bit unique to our competitors is why people should come and work for us and pick the fruit and vegetables and deliver it to the supermarkets is because we provide on-site accommodation, um, so people that come and work for us get their accommodation provided if they want it. Um, whereas some of our competition don't offer that. So it's just a, that's just a really simple example yep. of. So it's about thinking about why people should come and work for you. Promote those, build your employer brand. It's all about your people. You know, how do you hire more people? Referral schemes, all of those sorts of things. It's a it's a whole piece of work, yep. but it's it's probably the most important thing I think.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's one thing that, that we currently do on the day-to-day is David and Max, my brother, like they're working inside the business on the day-to-day. And one of the key things that I found through speaking to them is that on Thursdays and Fridays, they want to maybe work from home because they want to go back to their hometowns. They want to be with a girlfriend after work, that kind of thing. So just giving them that possibility to work from home is something that is really, you know, really interesting and and something that they want. So if you listen and you give them what they want, then they'll they'll stick around and they'll enjoy the work a bit for them. And in terms of optimizing and automating things, this is a topic that is quite controversial because there's some things that you can automate, you can optimize, but at some point you need to check in, have that human labor and so on. What's My thought process on this is try and optimize things that require human input sorry human input that is quite repetitive as a task but don't try and automate things that would be better done with like some kind of human labor aspect to it so like personalization being able to check in on someone and, and do that in a personalized way what are your thoughts on automating and obviously you know utilising technology in order to do a lot of the tasks that we do on the day-to-day. I mean
1: I think if you just look in general life you know if you yeah. you know the other day I went into a supermarket in the UK and you know maybe 10 years ago there'd be loads of checkouts with checkout people processing your supermarket shopping every week where now there's maybe only three or four checkouts with people and humans and then there's this big massive counter of where you go and basically Do your own scanning of your shopping, and you pay for it, and you're only ever dealing with the machine. So there's an example of how the supermarkets have been able to reduce the labour. Now it can be argued both ways as to whether that's more efficient. I mean, I don't know if you've ever shopped and you scan your thing, and then it doesn't go through, or then you put something (laughs) in the bagging area, and it's not recognised, and all of that sort of stuff. But you know, you can create arguments for and against, and I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done. Poorly, um, you know, and I think I agree with you about the whole human side of things. There are definitely things that businesses do that can be automated to make them more efficient. And it's not about getting rid of people or reducing the number of people that work for you, it's about deploying those resources somewhere else. So if you can automate a a particular process or system um, that means that maybe we don't need to hire as many people to work in that particular process they could be deployed into something else. That could be increasing your sales team. It could be reinvesting it into marketing and all of those sorts of things. So I think everybody knows that you can go offshore and you can get cheaper labor and, you know, we could outsource probably most of our head office functions in all of our businesses to the Far East and and, and it would probably save lots and lots of money. But you've got to ask yourself, is that the right thing to do for the business? Is that long-term sustainable? And there are some businesses that, do that and it works for them, and you know, it's positive for them. But there's others where you can find, you know, even sometimes in the same sector, where actually you see the almost opposite and reverse that it becomes bureaucratic, time zones can be challenging, and all of that piece. So, it's I guess it's trying to find the balance, um, yeah. I suppose is what I'm trying to say.
0: And talking about like putting the, your resources, say you save costs and automating some of the processes, and so you want to improve the top line, right? So, you want to improve the, the top, you know, the revenues. I know you've got the five C's going on on how to improve the sales. Do you want to go a bit deeper into what the five C's mean to you?
1: Yeah. So, um, the first C is cash um, and all the other four, the other four C's all lead to cash. So The first thing is the crowd. This is the crowd of people, your market, people that see your product or service that you're selling. So not necessarily your actual customers that do business with you. This is the potential market of people that might want to buy your product or service. And you've then got, um, the cost. So what do they, so this is the second C, what, what, what is the cost? Um, that each one of those customers is worth to you. You've then got the continuity, so how many times they keep coming back, and you've got the conversion. So what you wanna do is you wanna convert as much of that crowd as possible uh, into paying customers, so that's the cost bit. You then want to get them to come back and buy from you maybe more than once, depending on what your product or service is. Um, and all of those things will will lead to um, to cash. Now, if you can move each one of those dials by around about 5%, in most businesses, it can release between 20 and 40% more cash. So for example, um, you could look at your marketing process. You know, if you think when you buy something on Amazon, yep. it's dead easy, couple of clicks, and it's being delivered the next day. Dead easy, dead simple. Is your sales process a marketing process? As simple as Amazon, or what can you do to make it easier for customers to come, buy from you? What can you do in your marketing to persuade more of them to come and buy from you? Make it more compelling. Maybe there's a better follow-up system, etc. Um, in terms of cost, you know, most industries that you operate in tend to be very um, cost-driven, um, so it can be very difficult to raise prices. But think about the products or services that you sell that maybe you don't sell many of, but you could actually increase the price. So for example, we sell caravan and motorhomes. They're they're pretty much fixed in price. Whether you buy the model from us or somewhere else, within a very small margin, the the price you pay to us, to, to, to our competitors are going to be there or thereabouts. But think about the other things like the maintenance plans, the warranties, all of those things that you could increase, you know, the cost of those by 20 or 30 pounds or dollars. And that could have a massive impact on the actual cash flow that you generate within the business. I think about conversion, you know, how do you convert more people um, to buy from you? Is it um, improved sales processes? Go and look at your sales processes, you know, is it better training for your staff? How do they overcome the objections that you might get from potential customers? And the continuity is all about, you know, making sure there's a follow-up, making sure that you're there, um, you know, all of the time when they might be looking to make a purchase so that you can improve those things. And it might seem like a very simple concept, um, and it is. Um, but the reality of actually implementing that is is, is much more difficult. But it's, it's really about research, you know. Go and ask your salespeople what's stopping them from selling more. Go and ask your marketing people what could we do differently to get more of, 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 of that crowd, if you like. Um, look at the bottlenecks in your processes and just keep going back to that Amazon example. How can I run my business so that people can buy from me as easy as it is to buy from Amazon?
0: 100%. I think you want to make the process of buying things from you, as efficient as possible, the more efficient, the easier it is, you know, going to be to sell your products. I don't even know how many times I've probably gone to the checkout or the Add to Cart page, I've clicked on that, I wanted to buy the product or the service or whatever, it's been quite hard to fill in my details, I had to, you know, go into my credit card, look at the number, copy and paste that, or not even copy and paste that, but like go one by one, and by the time I'm doing that, I'm like, I'm done with this product. I don't even want to buy it. So there's a lot of potential in in that kind of aspect. So thanks for tuning into the Buy, Build, Sell podcast. Please visit buybuildsell.net in order to access our free community on buying and selling and building businesses so that you can access like-minded entrepreneurs, get access to free resources and be able to access content that is not available online that will help you on the deal-making journey. We promise not to spam you and we will be sending you the next episode on your email for free at your disclosure. Thanks a lot.
1: Uh, what about um, sales funnels? So you know, one of the things that we've done at Opulentia is we've you know we've built more efficient, automated um, uh, systems and procedures, and and we have a you know a CRM and we have a sales funnel, so we can focus on sort of opportunities and prospects and stuff. How? Would you tell us a little bit about how you could use a sales funnel in a business if you don't have one today.
0: Yeah, I think I think it comes down to it's a numbers game. It's. I think there's two ways of selling, there's B2C and there's B2B, B2B probably requires a bit more of your personal input and your personal sales process, B2C is obviously something to do with more technology, websites, landing pages, things like that, but it comes down to understanding your numbers. So if you're targeting or if you've got a crowd of 100 people and you've got them at the top of the funnel, you will understand what steps go within that funnel in order to, in order for this person to make a purchasing decision or a selling decision if you're going to buy the business right so once you know your numbers roughly it's a numbers game it's literally a numbers game so i would say if you want to build a funnel focus on what's the cost of acquiring this business or of you know selling this product to this business owner understand what steps go into that process and have ways of following up with people throughout that process so the people that start say you start with 100 and you want to have three four five people first of all it's going to be about two three percent of the market that is ready to either buy or sell right now normally right so there's a list of prospects that are interested and are curious about buying or selling to you there's another list of prospects that are just out there just hanging around they will pay a bit of attention to you but they're not going to make a decision right now And there's people that are ready to buy or sell to you, literally, as you speak to them. So um, making sure that you take each lead or each potential prospect across the sales pipeline or sales funnel is is really important. And how you do that obviously varies on on each industry. But if you're doing B2C, obviously Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, and then um, utilizing Instagram posts, you know, LinkedIn posts in order to get them through the funnel. It's something that is working. It's obviously this, you know, different um, different sales processes for each industry. But what we utilise within uh, Oplintic Apps so and when we look at buying a company is we try and fill up the pipeline of opportunities through LinkedIn, email, letters and sometimes phone calls. We then move them across the pipeline and we follow up with them by giving them information about who we are, what we do, what we're looking to do with the business, and then there's obviously the you know first call NDA stage, due diligence stage, heads of stage, financing stage, legal, and then completion stage. And um, you know you need to understand your numbers and your funnel at the other day. So.
1: Which leads me on to my next question about KPIs. Um, how how do we um, track KPIs in different businesses, and how important are they?
0: I think it comes down to having a single source of truth. So by that, I mean having one process for your entire sales funnel. In our case, we utilize a CRM, so a client relationship management system that allows you to understand where each lead is within their process. If you look at our sales funnel, more or less, we know our numbers because we've had a, say, a, a way of testing through, say, a thousand leads, how many of them will actually close, right? The same will happen to any single industry that you, that you touch. And you just need to make sure that there's a way of tracking that in a, in a way that makes sense so that everyone you know, within, the, within the business can understand that and then see what key actions need to be taken in order to improve those numbers. And that's you know that's what it comes down to.
1: And I think that you know sometimes KPIs can be actually made much more complicated than, than than they need to be. I mean I remember back when I was running my recruitment business we had literally 60 KPIs so I could see you know how many sales calls were being made, how many candidates we were registering, how many interviews we were doing, how many job offers we were getting, how many were getting closed out, what the average salary was and whilst all of those things I could use to run my business better you know if we, we, we weren't making many sales that week it be because we weren't getting enough job offers or if we were getting enough job offers but not not closing many, then there was something wrong in the sales process of of how we were dealing with those offers. Um, so, So being able to drill into that detail as a manager, I think can be quite important. But I think when you're the leader of the business, you're the person at the top, um, you know, it needs to be really simple and, you know, in most of the businesses that we're operated in, we really only measure a handful of KPIs. Yeah. We're looking at revenue and whether we're growing the top line and, and whether that's better than last year and <laughs> whether it's, um, you know, going in the right direction, what the profit is. So EBITDA is our our, our measure, you know, how much profit are we making? Um, is it better than last year? Is it growing? And how many acquisitions are we making? Yep. Um, because the bigger, the more acquisitions we can make, the bigger that we can become and grow and drive synergies and stuff like that. So there's an example of being really detailed of probably which you need to be as a manager of okay. people. And, but when you're setting the strategy and you're the person at the top or you're in M&A, you're probably just focused on those, those three things fundamentally.
0: Yeah. And say, say when we buy a business, right, and you receive the management accounts, what key numbers do you look at financially? Or what key metrics do you tend to look at financially? Turnover, yep.
1: EBITDA, and I'm looking at the balance sheet. So turnover, I want to know, are we going up? are we going down? Are we better than last year? Are we ahead of budget? Are we, you know, how are we performing against our Budget fundamentally, and profit again is the same. Um, you know, are we doing better than last month? Are we doing better against budget? Are we growing? Um, and you know, we're also looking at the cost base and the margins. So gross profit margin is important. Net profit margin. So what we're seeing a lot of in a lot of the businesses we're involved in at the moment, with the with the way the economy is, um, is that the cost to do business is more. So we need to improve our sales obviously, um, but we also need to manage our cost base, um, and uh, if if we ultimately want to be able to deliver our profit goals.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think if, you know, in our case, we look at those figures, if you're managing and you're starting out a business, you're going to probably look at, you know, the cost of acquisition in terms of a client, the cost of, you know, producing that product from a supplier. you know, the, the cost of uh, marketing and the cost of Facebook ads, that kind of thing, um, and each business has its own metrics, so you need to just kind of like figure out what makes sense for, for your case scenario, right, and and focus on the top three. I think the the key thing here is whatever you measure improves over time. Yeah, so, what
1: gets measured gets delivered. Exactly,
0: <laughs> so uh, making sure that you track whatever you want to improve is, is really important, and yeah, I okay. think that's...
1: Well, yeah, Thanks for having that discussion. I think it is a, you know, to wrap up. I think it is a very challenging market, but it shows that you know if you focus on the right things, if you have a plan, um, you know, think about automation, um, think about you know how you can be that Amazon, how how you can be easier to buy from, yeah. uh, making sure you've got the right people, yeah. and certainly having an M and A strategy. Um, given that twenty three percent of businesses around the world in in western countries are owned by the baby boomer generation and it doesn't matter whether we're in you know facing economic headwinds or whether we're at the peak of the market Um, that opportunity is going to exist and exist for a long time and I think that um, there are huge huge opportunities for businesses in this uh, in this current um, current climate. Totally agree. So thanks for joining us today guys and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. Have you tried our free survey to assess your skills as a dealmaker? Visit www.buybuildsell.net forward slash survey to take our free survey and assess your skills as a dealmaker.